Hello, everybody, and welcome to Just End the Suffering podcast featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. Got a big show for you today. We have an NFL draft special today. The draft was last week. All sorts of big headlines out of the draft. I'm joined by fan sides NFL reporter Matt Verderam. Matt's going to break down all the big headlines in the draft, including what the Giants were thinking taking Daniel Jones at six. I mean, my goodness, what a terrible pick. We'll get into all that. Also, going to dive into the fan forum again. I'm going to do something a little different today. I'm going to bring on a bunch of fans from some of the more interesting movers and shakers in this draft. I have a little checking with them, see what they feel about their teams, how they did, what the look outlook is going forward. That's coming up later in the show. But we'll get our roll with this week's opening tip, where we're going to dive into the NBA playoffs and what could be the series of the postseason. Rockets, Warriors, second round in the West. All that coming up right after this. Curry crossover, three-pointer. All right, we are back on this week's opening tip. That call you just heard, courtesy of ABC's Mike Breen. Steph Curry with a big late three in the Warriors' four-point win over the Rockets in game one of their second-round series. Joining me today to talk about the NBA is a big-time Rockets fan and somebody we heard from recently talking about the Jets. Rocky DePaula is back with us. Rocky, how are you? I'm doing good, Mike. Thanks for having me on again. Not a problem. Let's go to this series, this Rockets-Warriors series. I think is going to be the series of the playoffs because I think these are the two best teams in the NBA right now, and I feel like that... They're going to play a epic series. You saw, you obviously, you were glued to the set for game one. What was your big takeaway from that? I mean, the Rockets were right there. The game was there for the taking, but obviously the biggest commotion that was went on after game one was the inept officiating. Yeah, so, like, obviously, big lot of calls came out. The NBA came out today and said that Steph Curry should have fouled out of that game. We had to play at the end of the game where James Harden looked like he was fouled. They didn't call it. So, I mean, what's going on here? It's inept officiating. There's no other way to describe it. It's inept officiating. Because tell me how you played basketball before, Mike. You know whether it's a regular, whether it's you know you're on a team or just playing pickup basketball in your backyard, right? If you're shooting and somebody hits your hand or contests the shot and they dive into you, that's a foul. Yes, it is. That's a foul. And there was not one, not two, not three, but four times that happened yesterday in the Rockets game, in which. James Harden or Chris Paul got fouled, and they should have went to the free throw line after making the three-pointer. Yeah, that's fair. But also at the same time, Kevin Durant went, for, went off against the Rockets. He scored like, 32 points, I believe, or something like that. And, like, they got to be able to contain him. Yeah, he's, you know, no disrespect to him, but he's, or the Warriors, but this he's a phenomenal player. You know, this is like MJ-esque right here, Watch, what, watching what Kevin Durant did in the last few weeks. Yeah, I mean, he's been a lot of fun, and I love watching him play. I'm hoping he comes to the Knicks in the summer, but we'll see about that. But do you think that the Rockets have the best shot at maybe take down Golden State right now? I mean, Golden State's a little vulnerable because now they don't have Boogie Cousins anymore. The Clippers push them to six games in the first round. I don't know if they're bored or what, but I feel like the Rockets may be the best shot here to take, take them out. Oh, absolutely. Even if you saw last year in the Western Conference Finals, before the Chris Paul injury, the Rockets had them. They absolutely had the Warriors on thin ice. We're just one knockout blow away, but unfortunately, Chris Paul gets hurt. They blow the series, and even despite them losing, they were just, you know, a play here, a play call there, and yes, other than the officiating, which, you know, drove me nuts, you know, they're right there. The Rockets can compete with the Warriors, and plus, if you think about it, the Warriors, even though they won, you figure they got to be exhausted at this point. Oh, yeah, for sure. They're probably worn down right now, and 
Let's go to the Golden State Warriors for a second. Who do you think is the biggest player for them in this series? Well, definitely Kevin Durant, but also you can't forget about Clay. He, or he can play good defense. He can go have one of those games where he goes like, you know, 9 for 10 behind the three-point line, give you 40 points, like it's, or 30, point, 30, 40 points, like it's nothing. Yeah, so obviously, you know him. The Rockets, we know it's James Harden. We know James Harden's going off. Give me somebody else on that team who you think is going to be the key to them winning that series. You know, everyone's going to say, you know, Chris Paul and James Harden because those are the, uh, the two best guys on the team. But not a lot of people are talking about Eric Gordon. Now, yes, I know he's kind of like bounced around here and there, but he's one of those guys where he can give you 20, 20 25 points a game, and he plays great defense. And, you know, if you yeah. saw in the first round against the Jazz, what he, when uh, Mike D'Antoni put him on Donovan Mitchell, he was phenomenal. And Mitchell just struggled mightily in that game five. This is going to be a fun series. I can't wait to watch it play out. So if you had to make a prediction right now, to, like, I know you're a Rocket fan, but do you think they're going to win this series or are you going to take Golden State? I'm going to go, I said originally Rockets in six, but I may say Rockets in seven. I think the Rockets, they have the, they have the talent and they have the skill players to knock off Golden State. Because I'm telling you this right now, Mike, if they don't beat Golden State, no other team will. All right, so we'll take it right there from Rock. If Rockets do not beat the Warriors, they win the NBA championship. Might as well, unless the Raptors or the Bucks or whoever, you know, shock the NBA world. But the Rockets are the only team that can beat the Warriors at this point. You mentioned the Raptors and the Bucks. Let's take a look at the other series real quick for a minute. Milwaukee-Boston starts out. Boston wins game one on the road. They look like on paper they're the best team to match up with Milwaukee. So, like, what do you think the key is for them to win that series? Well, they got to play good defense like they did in game one. And then you saw Al Horford, who had a breakout game. He was crashing the boards, scoring. They made Giannis struggle. And I know it's only game one, but this series is going to go six, seven games because that Celtics team can play defense. Yeah, that's going to be a deep series. I think the Bucks are going to end up pulling it out in the end. Just I think Giannis is so, so good that like I feel like he's going to take over the series at some point. Yeah, that, this, that series is going to go at least six, seven games. Okay, let's go on to Toronto and Philly. Obviously, the Raptors, Kawhi Leonard put up a huge show in game one, helped them win. Big concern for Philly, that Joel Embiid injury, which has not gotten much better since the Nets series. Uh, absolutely. You know, we saw he had to set one game out in the Nets series. Now, even though they won that game without him, though, obviously, when you move on to the later rounds where the competition gets tough, they're going to need Embiid, and I don't know if that knee is going to hold up. And I tell you, I really like the 76ers as a team, but it just seems to me they always have like that one hiccup or that one hurdle that they can't just overcome the postseason. Yeah, I think right here it's going to be the Raptors. I think the Raptors are going to knock them out pretty quick. I think five games. Wow. Yeah. I thought this series would go at least six, seven games. Yeah. Just what I saw in game one, I just don't think they're up to the challenge right now. I think well, Toronto's that good. Well, we'll see what happens in game two. If, if Philly wins game two, this series is going to go at least six games, maybe even seven. All right, let's go to the last series of the round. The most in, one of the most intriguing ones on the board is the Portland-Denver series. The two teams are not normally this far in the postseason. Denver hasn't been here in a while. Portland finally wins a round with uh, Damian Lillard hitting the buzzer beater in the first round over uh, the Thunder. So what do you think is the key player in that series? I would have to go with uh, the former Nick. Enos Cantor, because you saw their center. I forgot his name. He went out with a broken leg, and yeah. everyone was, and he was one of the best centers, or he was highly regarded as one of the best centers in the NBA. And people were saying, you know, Portland's not going to go as far. They're one of those teams where they make the playoffs, but they don't do anything in the postseason. But Enos Cantor has stepped it up, and you saw in the th first round against the Thunder, he was crashing the boards, scoring, giving 15, 20 points a game, and you know he's been a difference maker for the Trailblazers. 
Yeah, so I like that series a lot. I think in the I think the fact that Denver is a nice team, I like them a lot, but they don't have that one impact player that's sort of going to take them over the top. But also, it's like to me, and I and I wasn't going to be surprised if they had lost to San Antonio in uh, the first round. But you got to think about this: Denver's as a two seed, a seventh seed took you to seven games or in the Spurs. You know, if you're a, a good team, you should take care of business asap, like within five games. Oh yeah, for sure. So like. I'm picking the Blazers here. I think they're going to win this series, probably like six games, because I think Denver will, st- will get two in the altitude. So I'm going to take Portland in six. I'm, uh, I'm going to go with you on that, Portland in six. All right, that's our current check-in on the NBA playoffs. Rock, thanks for all the time. I appreciate it. Before I let you go, you want everybody to know how to follow you on social media? Yep. Yeah, it's uh, the underscore rock 954, and then Instagram, the rock underscore 1995. All right, Rock, thanks for all the time. I appreciate it. No problem, Mike. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Rocky DePal on the NBA playoffs. Up next, the NFL draft recap with Matt Verderam from Fanside. That's coming up right after this. With the sixth pick in the 2019 NFL draft, the New York Giants select Daniel Jones, quarterback. So they do love a quarterback, and it's the kid from Duke. All right, we are back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. That call you just heard, NFL Network's Rich Eisen summarizing the pick from the New York Giants, taking Daniel Jones in the draft, that number six, probably the most controversial selection of the bunch. I have somebody with me today, covers the NFL for Fan Sided, the co-host of the Stack in the Box podcast, and someone who is not a big fan of that pick, Matt Verderam is back on the podcast. Matt, welcome. How are you? Hey, I'm great. How are you, Mike? I'm doing very good. Let's start right there with the Giants, and they had a lot of head scratches in this draft, but... What were they thinking with these picks, particularly Daniel Jones at six and Dexter Lawrence, who is probably a very good run stopper, but a two-down player in the NFL? What do you think was going through Gettleman's mind here? I think he panicked. Um, look, I did not like the draft at all. I wrote about it in my column, uh, Stack in the Box, on fan side. I, I wrote that I, I didn't feel uh, good about those first couple of picks. Look, Lawrence is fine, but he should have gone toward the end of the first round. He had a PED issue of Clemson at the end of his career. Um, but forget about him for a minute. Look, with Daniel Jones, they reached. They reached. And I know Dave Gettleman's talked since, saying that, look, there were a couple teams that tried to trade up. That seems to almost have been debunked by most reporting uh, around the league. And the reality of it is nobody thought Daniel Jones. Nobody thought he was a top-10 pick, even a top-20 pick. I was at the Senior Bowl, uh, sat with a scout throughout a couple of the practices, and scout was honest and said, look, I... There's no way that kid's a day one pick. There's just no way. He's not talented enough. And then, of course, Jones goes sick. So I think the Giants locked onto their guy. They convinced themselves that he was the right player. And that's a very, very dangerous thing to do in the draft, especially one where they could have had Ed Oliver or Josh Allen, two players they desperately need to rebuild that defense. And they go with Jones, who I don't think was even one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the draft. Yeah, that stunned me. I was texting with all my friends who were Giant fans. I'm like, yeah, don't worry. You guys taking Josh Allen here. You need that edge rusher. He's going to fit your defense great. Maybe you get Jones at 17. But I took him at six. I was just, my jaw was on the floor. It was just a shocking pick. I, I wasn't, it was shocking from the standpoint of how bad it was from value proposition. It wasn't shocking from the standpoint that the Giants had been linked to them, to, to him rather, for, for about a month. I mean, this was something that was coming. I had written about it. And God knows many other media members have written about it. You just you knew there was that connection with Cutcliffe, the head coach at Duke, and so you had to, with Manning and the Jones-Manning thing, and I, I think, look, the Giants just kind of convinced themselves that that was the pick they needed to make, 
and now they're going to live with it one way or the other. They are going to live with it. Uh, let's go to the other New York team for me, the Jets. They pass on Josh Allen as well. They take Quentin Williams, pick number three. Then later in the draft, they get the edge rusher. They get Ja'Kai Polite from Florida, who has a lot of issues, but probably one of the more talented guys in the draft. How do you think the Jets did? I think they did well. Like I, I wrote again in, in Stacking the Box on Monday. I, I wrote that I, I think the Jets did the right thing by not moving back up high into the second round. Look, the, the Jets are building for the long game here. And they should be better this year. In fact, I actually picked them to be a wild card team. But I, I think the Jets should be building year after year, slow and steady, getting ready for when Brady is finally out of the division. They, I believe, have their quarterback. They've done a nice job adding offensive pieces. Quinn and Williams, to me, along with Nick Bosa and Ed Oliver, were the three best players in the draft. So I have no problem with suggesting Quinn and Williams. And as far as polite, look, in the third round, you take your, your chances there. He was a first-round talent who just interviewed horribly um, and raised some concerns. In the third round, it's worth the risk. If he doesn't work out, so be it. If he does, it's a great third-round shot. So I don't mind what the Jets did. I think they did really well. Um, and, and again, I thought McKagan was smart not to trade up and, and get rid of a whole bunch of draft capital for the future. They're going to need that moving into 2020. Yeah, it remains to be seen if he'll be here making those picks in 2020. That's a discussion for another day. Let's go to the Arizona Cardinals. They take they start the draft off, take Kyler Murray number one, trade Josh Rosen to the Dolphins later for a second-round pick. Do you agree with that decision? No. I, I thought the Cardinals got robbed. Miami should be thrilled to death. Look, if Rosen doesn't work out, who cares? You traded a fifth-round pick and a late second. I mean, that's that's a no-brainer to take a chance on a, who could be a franchise quarterback. If Rosen was in that draft this year as a rookie, he would have been either the first or second guy off the board. So to get that guy with, in, with a second-round pick, I mean, if you're the Dolphins, you're doing backflips that you were able to do that. And if you're the Cardinals, look, I'm not planning Kyler Murray. He might end up being talented. Uh, certainly, he's talented. He might end up being good. But there's a lot of red flags there. He is not a big kid. Okay, the height thing matters to some degree, but his build matters more. Uh, he's going to play at about 190 pounds. I know he checked in at the combine at 205, but he's not going to play at that weight. So if I'm the Cardinals and I'm general manager Steve Kime, I am holding my breath because they could have potentially traded out of that spot, gotten a lot of draft capital, or simply could have just improved the defense. Um Look, if Murray works out, then the Cardinals are justified in it. If, if he's not significantly better than Rosen, then that picks a disaster. Yeah, it definitely feels like a disaster. Another team that could could say the draft is a disaster is the Oakland Raiders, reaching very hard to get Cleland Farrell at four, and then a couple of strange picks towards the back of the first round. Like, What exactly was Oakland doing this, in this draft? Oakland just continues to be Oakland. Uh, I don't understand. Well, Cleveland Farrell's a good player, but not at four. I mean, 14. Uh, they just they reached and Peter and Peter King's calm. He talked about being in the in the building with them and how the Raiders know that he's probably an eight to twelve sack guy at best, and that he's that he's a guy with great practice habits. You don't draft that guy fourth. You draft that guy fortieth. So I, I I don't understand that. And the, but to me, the most perplexing thing. I don't mind Abram. The running back there is absurd. He's going to have to be an All Pro for that pick to make any sense. It, they they have. So many needs. And in a draft where there's so much help around the board defensively, on the offensive line, in the secondary, I mean, they could have taken Greedy Williams there. They could have had Greedy Williams and Abram at 24 and 27, and instead, and I know they ended up taking the corner out of Clemson in the, in the second round at 40, I believe, but still, to take a running back at that spot was just ludicrous. You cannot do that if you're the Raiders. 
Yeah, they they definitely, I think, screwed up their draft again. They sent all the scouts home, too, so this feels like more dysfunction in Oakland as usual. They've just, look, I, I think Mayock is a, is a smart guy, and I think he's going to do a nice job there in time. But the, the problem he has is Gruden is just an albatross around his neck. Gruden is making $90 million over the next nine years. He's going to have final say. Ultimately, if John Gruden wants something, he's going to get it. And, and I think if you're the Raiders, you just look at that pick of Jacobs and say, like, why? Why? You could have taken a million other guys. You could have gone a million other different directions. And so, look, I, again, I, I just think the Raiders missed the mark. I mean, that was the pick they got for Khalil Mack. They, they traded Khalil Mack for a running back and a first-round pick next year. That's not going to fly. Yeah, that's definitely not going to fly. So let's stay out of the negative. Let's go back to the positive. Which team do you think had the best draft? You know, I thought a couple of AFC teams really impressed me. Um, and I want to mention Philly as an honorable mention. I thought the Eagles did really well. But for me, the two teams that did the best in my eyes were Buffalo and Jacksonville. I thought Buffalo had a, had a great draft. Part of it was just the way things fell for them. They, they hit Ed Oliver, who I loved. He was the number one pick in, on my board all the way up until and through December. Um, and I, I still, like I said, I think he's one of the three best players in the draft. And then they got Cody Ford. I, I think Dawson Knox is an interesting guy, tight end. So I thought the Bills did really well. And in Jacksonville, uh, you know, you see they get Josh Allen, which to add to that defense is almost criminal. And then on top of that, uh, they, they get Jawan Taylor in the second round. That, that's a, a bargain. I didn't love the depth of their class, but I thought those two picks back-to-back were so good that for me it elevates it. I like the Chargers. You got Tillery in the first, got Adderley in the second. Um, so there were a handful of teams I thought did real well, uh, but the Bills and the Jags really stuck out to me. Yeah, I had Jacksonville high on my list of winners as well, just because the fact that, as you said, getting Josh Allen at seven, I feel like Tom Coughlin ran the car to the podium as soon as they saw the Giants didn't take him. That was one. And then yeah. Jawan Taylor, the tackle. I mean, they're, they're about to put giving to the Jaguars at seven. They got been about 30 picks later. That's incredible value. No, they did a great job. I, I think if you're Dave Caldwell, you're Tom Coughlin, you feel real good about that. They've had a strong offseason in general. They had Nick Foles. And see what you want about Nick Foles. He is a light years better than Blake Bortles. So I thought Jacksonville did well. Another team actually staying in that division. I thought Tennessee had an interesting draft, a draft that could prove really good. I mean, Jeffrey Simmons has his questions on and off the field with the knee, with the incident where he punched a woman in high school. Um, he's a very talented kid. And then A.J. Brown, the receiver at Ole Miss, went in the second round to Tennessee. My only question with the Titans, and I know their fans are hate when I say this, but can Marcus Mariota get him the football? Because Marcus Mariota has just not been a good quarterback throughout this, the first four years of his career. So I worry the Browns are going to get wasted there. But I love the talent, and I think the Titans did well. Yeah, one team I think that it's going on the radar right now, their draft I think was very good and it's not getting talked about enough. I think New England had a very strong draft because I feel like they got great value with Nikhil Harry, 32, Chase Winovich in the third round, and Jared Stidham getting him late and giving him a chance to develop and learn behind Brady. I feel like they had a very shrewd draft. I agree. I thought New England did have a nice draft. The Damian Harris pick, look, they, they're very good at evaluating running backs, so I trust them on that one. The, the reason I didn't mention was Nikhil Harry. I love Nikhil Harry's game. My question is, is, of all the things New England does well, the one thing they do not do well is evaluate receivers. They've never evaluated receivers well. So I, I just wonder with Harry, is he going to end up being the guy who finally kind of changes that with, with the Patriots? Because they have really struggled. If you look at their draft history, they do not draft receivers and develop them the way they do most other positions. Um, but I, I like Levinovich. You're right. I, I think he's going to be a nice player for them. Look, they, they need to add a little bit more pass rush. Obviously, they lost Trey Flowers. They added Michael Bennett, but he's older. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought New England did well. I really like I really like Joan Williams out of, out of Vanderbilt, and that's a strong secondary already, so it just gets better. Yeah. 
We've already touched on the Raiders and the Giants, both having very weird drafts. What are some other teams you think had like very like odd drafts? I'll say Cincinnati. Um, they were the worst-ranked defense in the NFL last year, and they had the 11th pick, and I believe it was the 45th pick, and they took two offensive players, one of which who a lot of people thought was a backup tight end who might go in the fifth or sixth round in sample. So uh, I, I thought the Bengals, like, you've you got to get defensive players. I mean, you, you have no defense. You just hired an offensive coach. Take defensive players. And if you're going to take an offensive player at 11, take Dwayne Haskins. He's in Ohio. You know, he's from Ohio State, and he's right up the road from you guys. I mean, take a shot. Do something. Andy Dalton's not getting you anywhere. So I don't understand that. Look, and I like Jonah Williams, for the record. I think Jonah Williams is going to be a good player, but he's not protecting a franchise quarterback. The team's getting older. I think the Bengals should have traded A.J. Green. I really do. I think the Bengals should have traded Green, should have got a lot of draft capital for him, and, and helped to rebuild that team. Because by the time they're good, he's going to be gone. So, uh, but I just, overall, with their draft, I thought their day three picks, picks were better, but I just, I, I didn't like the way they went, especially high up in the draft. Yeah, I feel like they're sort of in that mix of teams that sort of going to give it one more year and wait till the next year's class when Tua Tagovailoa and Justin Herbert are in there. So I feel like they could be a team that's looking for a QB next year. Oh, I think they're going to be. Yeah. Um, but they just, the hard thing with the Bengals is they don't use free agency. And so if you don't use free agency, you have to, you have to kill the draft every year. And when you're taking a tackle that a lot of people think is going to be a guard because he doesn't have great arm length, although I would disagree, but that's the, a lot of people in the NFL feel that way. Um, and then you're taking a backup tight end. You just signed C.J. Uzama for three years and a pretty good amount of money. So like, I, I just don't understand the upside in that. If you're going to take a pass catcher, take D.K. Metcalf. Take, 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 you know, uh, take Miko Hartman. Take, take, I don't know, whoever you want to throw out there, but you know, Paris Campbell. Um, I just don't understand that selection at all. Yes, you brought me Cole Hartman. He goes to the Kansas City Chiefs in this draft, and the Chiefs, yep. obviously, they're in the news right now because of the Tyreek Hill situation. The NFL puts him on the on the restricted list today, so commissioner's exemplary, whatever it's called. So I know you're very connected with the Chiefs. You've covered them a lot for in the past. So like, how do you, you think this situation going to end up playing out in the long haul? Because I feel like it's just inevitably he's getting cut. Well, I'll, I'll try to give the shortest answer I can with this. I... I think the longer he's on that roster, the less chance that he's going to get cut. And I was as guilty as anybody. When they drafted Hardman, my initial response was, well, that means they're cutting Tyree Hill because he's a very similar player. But bear in mind, they did not draft another receiver the whole rest of the draft. Okay, And they were always going to draft a receiver, even if nothing bad had happened with Tyree Hill because they lost Chris Conley, the Anthony Thomas is gone. So, in essence, look, now you could argue that they're going to go into the next season with half of their depth chart at that position being Garrett Geeter, Marcus Kemp, and Byron Pringle. I would argue that that is not ideal. And so, look, what, what Tyree Kill is accused of doing in that audio tape is heinous. If I were the Chiefs, I would release him. But I'm not the Chiefs. And they are all in this year. And I think they're looking at that situation and going, look, if, if we're going to wait and we're going to see what the NFL does. Because if Goodell suspends him for 10 games, let's just say that that's what it is. They're going to say, in my opinion, fine. We'll, we'll say that we need to rehabilitate Tyreek, and we're going to be there for his family, and we're going to help him through this whole situation, and we're going to accept the 10-game punishment. And guess what? After 10 games, they play the Chargers twice, the Bears, and the Patriots. And then they go to the playoffs. And so I, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion he's cut. I think it depends on if, what else comes out of this and what does the NFL do. Because if the NFL doesn't suspend him heavily – 
like real heavily, like a season plus, I think the Chiefs might just wait this thing out, get them back to the playoffs, and deal with the scrutiny, as, as ugly as that is. Yeah, that just bothers me because, I mean, I'm I'm sorry. I don't care how fast you run, how many balls you can catch, but, like, when you're breaking – if you actually broke a kid's arm, you should not play in this league ever again, in my opinion. Look, I, I mean, if, if he broke that kid's arm, he'd probably go to jail. Yeah. But I, the, the point being, look, I think sometimes – and I'm as guilty as this thing, but, like, I, I, you think about, like, well, morally they should do this. And no one's arguing – look, morally, I think unless you're just a complete lunatic, you're, you're on the side of what he did – if he did what he's accused of, it's horrible. Um, but this is also the same franchise that on the day the audio came out, they were announcing that they had traded for Frank Clark. They don't, the Chiefs have shown they don't care. And, and I, they, they want to win at all costs. I mean, Frank Clark, for people who don't know, when he was in the University of Michigan, he fell in the second round because he was involved in a, in a charge of domestic violence. Now, it ended up being a, a pleaded down into disorderly conduct in the fourth degree. But, you know, Frank Clark has, has some things in his past that aren't too pretty. And the Chiefs had no problem trading the first and a second-round pick for him. And then announcing him the exact same day that the case was reopened with Tyreek Hill, literally within minutes. So I, I would hesitate to say, oh, it's definite that the Chiefs are going to get rid of Tyreek Hill. It might happen. But the Chiefs are, if they knew they were going to cut him, believe me, knowing that organization, he would have already been cut. All right, good to know. Matt, thanks for all the time today. Before I let you go, you want to let everybody know how to follow you on social media and some of the other stuff you're up to, including the uh, Stack in the Box podcast? Sure, thanks. Yeah, check out Stack in the Box podcast. It's on iTunes. I host it with Josh Hill here at Fansided. Also, I have a Stack in the Box column that I run every Monday morning at Fansided.com. Check it out. It's usually you know 2,500 words or so. Um, and then just help beyond that, got a, got a weekly mailbag. It goes every Friday. Follow me at Matt Verderam. Uh, shoot me a question. I'm happy to answer it. And uh, I really appreciate the time, Michael. All right, that was Matt Verderam from Fansided on the NFL Draft. Up next, this week's Fan Forum. We're going to talk to a bunch of NFL fans all about the 2018 draft and how their teams did. We'll be right back after this. All right, we are back on the fan forum. We're going to start with the New York Giants, the movers and shakers of this draft with some of their interesting choices. Joining me is a guy we've had on the podcast twice before, one of the biggest Giant fans I know, and someone who went on a quite a rant about them the last time he was here. Justin Diaz is back with us. Justin, how are you? Uh, I'm sad, Mike. I'm very sad. I assume you have some hot takes on this Daniel Jones pick at number, at, uh, number six. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I can't even say it's, I have hot takes. It's uh, I think the it, the hot take would be defending the pick and saying it's a solid, logical pick. The <laughs> the universal consensus is an awful pick, and I can't even begin to form a coherent argument that would say otherwise. Yeah, I just couldn't believe it. My jaw dropped when I saw they made that pick. Cause I was texting our friend Phil. I'm like, eh, you know, don't worry. I'll take. Uh, they'll take. Uh he's got blanking on the guy's name but the uh oh josh allen josh allen thank you that's a, a, sure yeah. i mean that would have been the logical pick it would have made a lot of sense stud pass rusher they're devoid of talent in the pass rushing department but i wasn't shocked i, I all right so there's a couple of things going on it, the the narrative that they were going to take jones at all in the first round was gaining steam a few weeks ago so we're like, all right, this is pretty bad, but let's see what happens. If they take him at 17, it's it's bad, but it's not a disaster. Then all of a sudden, I want to say the day before, 
the Jones at six was gaining steam rapidly. Like, okay, this can't really be true, can it? And then you thought back to Saquon, where it was a foregone conclusion for months they were taking quarterbacks, a quarterback. And then Saquon started gaining steam to the point where the week leading up to it, there were reports that it was a done deal. And I still didn't believe it until his name was called. So given that, when this report started coming out that Jones at six was a real possibility, I, I was starting to get concerned. And then uh, when it when it happened, it was so it's so dumb and illogical and such a reach that it, just those things alone make it shocking. But given the man that made the decision, David Gettleman, it, it's not shocking. So it's it's contrasting things going on, but. I'm still speechless. I've been talking about it. At, I'm not getting any work done because I, I, people on my floor, a lot of Giant fans, they know I'm a big Giant fan. They're stopping at my desk all day. I just can't. It's it's hard to fathom that you can have a GM that's so incompetent and so dumb running the team. It's such a. I genuinely believe, and I know this is going to sound like hyperbole. I think this will go down as one of the worst picks in sports history, not just football history sports history because it was so Daniel Jones is an ACC quarterback that didn't perform well in college he doesn't have a strong arm he's I think he's a (laughs) walk-on there's when when someone doesn't perform in college there's usually mitigating factors like Josh Allen last year who I really didn't like and I did not want the Giants to take him but you know what he had a cannon he's a freak athlete I guess I can see why someone would fall fall in love with him Danny Jones, he's tall, he and he's white, and he has beers with Eli and Peyton in the off season. I, I think that's that's the argument for drafting him. I just, I can't, I'll never get over it. It's going, it's the thing with Gettleman is though you can't focus too much on one of the dumb decisions because there's so many. The, the Beckham trade, and not to, this is not a thing to do with the draft. The Beckham trade is one of the dumbest trades ever. Getting a 17th overall pick and you pick a nose tackle who is replacing the dominant nose tackle you just traded a few months ago. It, you talk yourself in circles when trying to explain Gettleman's stupidity. So uh, that that's a mini rant for you right there. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you ask another question. Yeah, I could definitely see. You're very frustrated, Mr. Gettleman, over there, because, I mean, like you said, the Odell Beckham trade, letting Landon Collins walk, basically turning Beckham into the replacements for both Collins and Snacks Harris. I mean, do we have any ability, faith in his ability to put this a contender on this team? No, 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 not at all. I mean, when Saquon was drafted last year, I basically lost all faith. Just someone passing, I said this to you last, uh, whenever that was, last fall, passing on a, a franchise, a potential franchise quarterback for a running back is so mind-bogglingly dumb that that made me lose all faith in them. But they've made it way worse since then. It's just one bad decision compounded by the next. And... I have, and not only do I have no faith in them building a good team, I am 100% certain they will never be a good team until Gettleman is fired. It's the same, basically my same philosophy with the Knicks. The Knicks will not be good unless James Dolan sells or they get unbelievably lucky, like Kevin Durant is just bored and says, all right, I'll come to New York. I mean, that that's just, you know, sometimes you get luck fall into your lap, like the Cavs getting the number one pick three times um with gentlemen no i i just no chance there, there's absolutely no chance and 
you see, I see a lot of contrarians saying, let's wait and see. You never know. We don't need to wait and see. This is a horrendous reach of a pick. Maybe the guy, this guy, I feel, I honestly do feel bad for Daniel Jones. He didn't ask to be put in this situation. He, he's, you know, good for him. He, he networked his way to the sixth overall pick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, uh, I, you know, as a Giants fan, of course I'd love for him to prove us all wrong and be a great quarterback, but it, it's not, uh, maybe it'll happen. It is not happening. He is not, he was not a good college quarterback. In a mediocre, they're they're not even facing the. I'm correct me if I'm wrong. Actually, I don't think they face Clemson. I don't think they're facing Florida State. His stats against Virginia were horrendous. Like he made Virginia's defense look like an elite top five defense. This guy is not good. It's not happening. Maybe best case scenario, Shermer can mold him into an okay, serviceable quarterback. Taking that type of guy at number six is. I mean, it's beyond a fireable offense down the line. It's a get rid of him as soon as possible but it no chance they'll be good under Gettleman's watch he he's screwed everything up so badly that he has no there's no reason to give him any sort of benefit of the doubt we are in the darkest timeline for the Giants. Justin, thanks for coming on. I wish you would get on Twitter because I feel like your Twitter rants would be fantastic. Uh, I don't think I could add anything to the conversation that I haven't already seen. The one bright spot is there's been some great memes about Gettleman. Uh, that, that's added some humor to the mix, but it, it's a sad. It really is a sad time to be a Giants fan. That the I've never seen this level of incompetence uh, around the Giants. I mean, we all complained about Jerry Reese. He had his faults. He, he he really did a bad job the last few years, but uh, nothing like this. I mean, we're in bizarre world. The Giants have become the Jets. I don't even think the Jets are ever this poorly run. I, I don't know how you feel, but... Uh, I can make the argument. <laughs> how did you feel about the Jets draft, quickly, just to, to see your quick thoughts? Yeah, I think it's. I think they like what they did. I, I would have liked Allen, but, you know, quite was be good. I'm, I'm fine with that. Good. I, I agree. I think they did a nice job, and, and they have a they have some optimism going into this year. All right, Justin. Thanks for the time. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Mike. All right. Next up in the fan forum, we might as well check in with the team that hosted the draft in Nashville, the Tennessee Titans. And joining me is a Titan fan who I have not heard from on this podcast since he did NFL picks back in week 13 of the 2018 season. Joe Chaffee is back with us. Joe, how are you? Michael, how are you? I'm doing very well. The Titans had a very interesting choice in this draft. They took Jeffrey Simmons' defensive tackle in the first round. Obviously, on terms of pure ability, a great fit on this Titans defensive line. But coming off an ACL injury, it's had some issues off the field. What was your reaction when you heard this, that this was going to be their pick? I was happy with it. Um, I, I, Titans were picking you know, the back of the first round, more or less. Not really... You know, obviously just missed the playoffs last season. So I'm happy with them taking the chance on talent. Um, you know, there's nothing more important than building the lines. So the Titans have always got offensive line, offensive line, offensive line in the first round. So I was happy to see them take a defensive lineman. And I know he's hurt, um, but I'm not sure if Tennessee's a win-now team. So I'm happy if they take the time, get this guy healthy. And if the talent is there, like many scouts say, I think he just steal that late in the first round. Yeah, they definitely had an interesting draft here. I mean, they they got a lot of guys who could fill needs, but this is a team that people forget. They were in game 256 last year, had lost to the uh, Colts because Marcus Mariota was not there. Uh, Blaine Gabbert had to start that game. Obviously, Tanner, 
Tannehill's there now to be the backup, but do you think they've done enough to get back to the playoffs? They were just in there two years ago. To me, it comes down to is Marcus Mariota on the field. And if you go back to our, our Week 13 podcast, I believe we talked about Tennessee, and I told you that I'm not sold on Mariota. And I still kind of feel the same way, where if he's on the field, he's pretty good. I don't think he's great. I don't think – I think he's a guy that can win you 10 games in the regular season, and we've seen it. I don't know if he's a quarterback that gets you over the hump in the playoffs. Um so I'm fine to keep rolling him out there, of course. You, know, you can see the talent in spurts. It would be nice if he can put it together in a full season, stay on the field. And the Tannehill move, you know, I think, you know, Ryan Tannehill is not going to take his job, but he's certainly better than Blaine Gabbert. So if Tennessee goes down to the situation where once again Mariota is hurt, I do feel a little bit better with, with a guy like Tannehill back, you know, running the offense than – uh, Blaine Gabbert, <laughs> or you know, years ago on Fitzpatrick, and you know, they, they've gone through their share, of, like, all the way back to Billy Volick. Um, they, they've had their fair share of interesting quarterbacks, and uh, you know, Tannehill is, is a solid vet, uh, obviously a big bust in Miami, but you can have much worse quarterbacks as your backup quarterback. So, you know, I like what Tennessee's doing. You know, I think they've realized that maybe Mariota isn't the guy, maybe these injury problems are not just a fluky thing. No, maybe he's just a little bit fragile, and let's go get a legitimate number two quarterback. Yeah, he definitely is. It makes you wonder, though. Like, if you got to think sometimes, like, if they have another weird year this year and they miss out again, maybe they're in the quarterback market next year in the draft. Next year's class will be really good. Absolutely. And another thing that they you know they took a wide receiver in the second round, but you know that that Corey Davis pick is looking worse and worse very quickly. Yeah, for sure, Joe. Thanks for all the time today. Before I let you go, you want everybody know how to follow you on social media. Oh, you can find me at J underscore Choppy. Or if you, Mike, if, if someone wants to text you, I trust you. You can give them my number. Okay. If they want, if you want to text Joe, just let me know. I'll let, I'll get him in contact with you. Thank Joe. Thanks and, for all the time. Listen, and of course, I got to do a quick plug. June 21st, the New York Rangers have the number two pick in the draft. Let's not forget about the real draft in New York, my friend. Yes. We'll be talking hockey on the podcast next week. So hopefully you'll be here. Tune in for that. You know, I'll be listening, Michael. All right. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, Mike. All right, now we go from Tennessee all the way out to L.A. with the Los Angeles Chargers. And this is a blast from the past from this podcast. Somebody who I haven't talked to since episode number six. Jersey Joe Arquino is here. Jersey Joe, how are you? I'm doing well, my friend. You are doing some great things with the podcast. have loved the way it's growing, and it's great to be back. Yeah, getting you back is about my bucket list. I'm glad I got you back in here finally. <laughs> You were persistent, and it happened. Yeah, it happened. Hopefully next time won't be another 40 episodes until you're on again. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about this. Last time you were here, you talked about the Giants, but people may not know this, but you were actually a fan of the L.A. Chargers. Well, yeah, you know, growing up, I became a San Diego Chargers fan. It's still hard sometimes to, you know, think of them as the L.A. Chargers, but Ladanian Tomlinson was my guy. I mean, he was just the athlete at the time that was just, Killing, killing it. I mean, he was an amazing player to watch. Did the right thing on and off the field. I actually got the chance to meet him in person, too. And, you know, when you're a young guy and you meet the player that, you know, has meant so much to you and he ends up being just a total class act and was everything that you could hope he would be, it meant a lot to me. So LT is the reason I became a Chargers fan. And uh, I've worked for the Giants, and they're a great organization, too. But 
you know, you always have a special heart in your place with the first team that you really, really cared about growing up. And for me, that's the Chargers. That's pretty cool. I love to hear about stuff like that. So the Chargers, this, this draft, first round, take defensive tackle Jerry Tillery from Notre Dame. He's going to play on that front with Melvin Ingram and Joey Boza. That Charger pass rush is going to be really scary. Oh, my God, it really is. I mean, we just saw Melvin Ingram say that, that, he, that he thinks the Chargers have the best defensive line in the NFL. And, look, I think when, when teams take the field against them, they, they might be thinking the same thing. I mean, it really is an impressive array of talent they have up on the, the pressure that they can put on the opposing team's quarterbacks. And, look, I know we can get so invested in offense in the league this these days, but you still have to have the components on defense. If you can't stop anybody for a lick, you're not going to be getting very far in this league. It is, you do need an offense, but defense is just as important as it ever has been. I mean, you look at what a guy like Bill Parcells was talking about last year. All the teams he was looking at to make deep playoff runs, he was all saying the same thing. It's you got to have a defense, and I think what Los Angeles is put putting together right now, they really have a very formidable defense talent all over the place. They absolutely do. Were you surprised at all, considering where they were in the first round, that they did not consider taking a quarterback to replace Phillip Rivers? Because I mean, Drew Locke was there when they picked. They passed on him. Yeah, you know, if you looked at a lot of projections, a lot of people thought that's where they were going. Uh, it seemed like from a lot of the reports you read that they're getting close to an extension with Rivers, but, you know, they did end up taking a, a quarterback in the draft. And apparently, you know, I, I mean, obviously, I think the reason that they ended up taking Easton Stick, uh, obviously North Dakota State, it's kind of the Carson Wentz thing. Maybe the Chargers are trying to get their own Carson Wentz. I don't know if that's who it will be. I don't think too many people spend their Saturdays watching North Dakota State. Uh, but, you know, I think right now they are certainly in a win-now win position uh, with the offense that they have uh, and with the defense they have as well. Last year, you know, I think most people thought that they were closer than maybe Phillip Rivers has been in a long time to finally getting to the Super Bowl. It didn't work out. That Patriots game didn't go very well, but... They've got a really good chance this year, I think, to make another really good run. Yeah, Phillip Rivers, I mean, he's one of, the more, one of the more underrated quarterbacks in this league. He has been in the playoffs a lot, has not gotten to that Super Bowl yet. And they yeah. have a t- tough road with the Chiefs in that division, Patrick Mahomes and all those guys. But do you think they put enough pieces around Rivers to help him make that one run and get to that Super Bowl finally? You know, that's that's the good, the ultimate question. And I think, I think Oakland will obviously take a, a step forward this year. I don't think they'll have as difficult a season as they did last year. I mean, look, for the Chargers to be 12-4 and four and to finish second in that division, that shows you how good the Chiefs are and how good they were last season. I do think the Chiefs do take a little bit of a step back this year. I think there's been a lot of things happening off the field for them. They've lost a lot of players. We know that defense was a really had a tough time stopping people at times. And I think, obviously, the biggest part of that team is obviously, of course, Patrick Mahomes. He had a phenomenal season last year, his first full season in the league. And I do think he takes a little step back just because we see it so often. After a guy has been in the league one season, teams look at him, they adjust to him normally, differently, he gets different looks. So it's going to be a little bit of a different year for him. I still think, obviously, He's got a world of talent, and he's going to put up some nice numbers. But I do think he takes a little bit of a step back. And Philip Rivers is a pro. He's a vet. He's been in this position time and time again. As long as the Chargers keep him upright and they're able to protect him with that offensive line, 
with the defense, I think that should take a lot of pressure off of him. And they've got some great playmakers on offense as well. So when you look at the fact that the Chargers, too, are returning pretty much most of the most important players from last year, I think they really are set up for another great season. All right, looking forward to it. Jersey, thanks for all the time. Before I let you go, you want to let everybody know how to follow you on social media? Yes, of course. Uh, you could go on uh, the old Twitter is, of course, at Joe Archino. You can follow me on Instagram, Jersey underscore Joe or underscore Archino. And then, of course, if you want to add me on Facebook as well, Jersey Joe Archino, always on there. And, Mike, really appreciate you bringing me on today. Like I said, you're doing a great job with this podcast, and it was really fun to be back on it today. Thanks, Joe. Next, Hopefully we're not going to wait 40 more episodes to hear from you again. <laughs> I promise. Not that long, okay? All right. Thanks, Joe. All right, buddy. All right, next up on the Fan Forum, a guy we heard from last week on our draft preview show, Joe Dalvizio is here. Joe, how are you? Mike, I'm doing well. How are you? Doing very well. I'm glad to have you back on. Let's talk about your Green Bay Packers for a bit. Green Bay goes defense, both its first-round picks. Take Rashawn Gary, Darnell Savage Jr. at the safety spot. Were you surprised they didn't use one of those picks to get a playmaker for Aaron Rodgers? Um, Yes and no. I was surprised that they didn't go with a wide receiver towards the end of the first round. I thought they were going to stay home. A little shocked that they moved around a bit. Um, But defense is still the need. They figure that with Aaron Rodgers, he is very talented, obviously. One of the best quarterbacks in the league. He can make it work. Defensively, though, they need those playmakers. So I feel that's why they went that defensive route. Yeah, so they go defense there. They take Jace Sternberger, the tight end, give him a toy in the third round there. They've done a lot of defensive work this year, but they have not made the playoffs in several years. Now they have a new first-year coach in Matt LaFleur. Do you think they've done enough to win the NFC North? I think they've definitely added a lot of pieces. Um, I think that they're going to be extremely competitive, and as long as Aaron Rodgers is healthy, you better believe that they're going to have a chance to take the NFC North. This defense is going to be fast, this defense is going to be athletic, and it's going to be very young. Time will tell, but there's a good chance that they'll be right back on top. All right, that's Joe D on the Packers. Joe, before you go, let everybody know how how to follow you on social media. Yep, give me a follow on Twitter, at Joe, double underscore. Do not forget that double. Don't forget it. D-A-L-O-I-S-I-O. All right, thanks, Joe. All right, next up in the fan form, we are heading to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Joining me to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers, the one Steeler guy I know who wants to come on the podcast. No offense to my other Steeler fan friends, but this guy is the man, Alex Fasano. Alex, how are you? I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me. No problem. We just heard from Alex back during the NFL season, Week 15 picks. Now the Steelers make an aggressive trade in this draft. I like this move a lot. They go up to land Devin Bush at number 10, the linebacker. How will he fit on the Steelers' defense, Alex? I mean, Mike, let me tell you, he is going to fit like a glove in this Steelers' defense. It's unbelievable. He is the absolute perfect fit for the gap that has been lost and needed to be filled since Ryan Shazier has been uh, has been injured. Uh, the last time I remember Pittsburgh doing something like this, in 2003, they traded up to get uh, a little safety from USC uh, with the 11th overall pick. I think you might know him by the name of Troy Palomalu. Uh, so it's really cool to see the Steelers be aggressive here for once in the draft um, and, and make a big play like this. Devin Bush is, is is perfect, but that's not the only thing to be excited about. It, it, it's the rest of these picks that Pittsburgh got. It's unbelievable. Deontay Johnson out of Toledo, Justin Lane, Michigan State, Benny Snell Jr., Kentucky. I mean, those are just the top four. 
I am so excited for this season. Pittsburgh has never been more ready in a draft. I, I, this is probably one of the best drafts I've seen in a while. I mean, but just look at the second pick, Deontay Johnson. They got him in the third round. The Steelers were scouting him as a first-round wide receiver. They see him as a very underrated player in this year's draft, and it was great. Um, he's a great, great route runner. And obviously, you know, Pittsburgh's been uh, needing a little route runner uh, this offseason after uh, someone uh, who will remain nameless, because uh, I don't know what name to call him, but we've, we've been needing a route runner this offseason. So Deontay Johnson is going to be a perfect fit. Um, you also look at Justin Lane, the cornerback, Michigan State. He is huge, 6'2", 192 pounds. Uh, he's not an inside cover guy, which I'm a little concerned about. Uh, he, he, he's a big guy and he boxes out, but it's not someone they're going to utilize right away. Um, it kind of spent, you know, it's a third-round pick on a cornerback that they're not going to plug in right away. Uh, Mike Hilton has been doing great for the Steelers his last couple of seasons, uh, and him and Joe Hayden are a great uh, corner duo. Uh, Justin's going to be great. Uh, he's going to learn from them for a little bit, so you can't plug him in immediately. But I like the potential this guy has. <clears throat> and then uh, one, of the, one of the unique picks that I really didn't expect, Benny Snell Jr. out of Kentucky. I mean, I think it's a little early for a running back, fourth round, especially considering we got you know James Conner and Jalen Samuels in the backfield. But he is a stealer type running back. He's going to fight for that extra yard, and he's going to ground pound his way across the first yard line. So I think this is something that it complements Steelers offense that's already electric. But I, I mean, just these first four picks, and then you got Zach Gentry uh, the, uh, from Michigan, the tight end, who's a perfect fit for the gap that Jesse James uh, left when he, got, uh, when he became a free agent. And then you got Isaiah Bugs, Ulysses Gilbert III, Derwin Gray. All around perfect picks for the Steelers. They focused on defense this year. I'm so glad they did because that was the biggest, biggest problem last season was their defense. And I'm so happy with this draft. Pittsburgh, I can't wait for this season. Yeah, Steelers have a, br a brand new look now. The guy you do not want to name, Antonio Brown, is gone out to Oakland. Le'Veon Bell's a jet. See, like everyone wants to give his division to the Browns. I mean, everyone thinks that Cleveland's going to run away with this. Tell me why we shouldn't count the Steelers out. Now, aside from my fandom, i got to try and, you know, be an analyst here. And the Browns I've been excited for since last season. You know, before when the minute they got Baker, I was so excited. And that's coming from a diehard Steelers fan. I, I've seen, you know, the Steelers run this division, so to speak, for the last decade. And I don't want to say we want to lose the division, but I like to see the Browns fight us a little bit. I mean, they tied us last year. Um, you know, they haven't really won a game against us in, in a while. So I'm excited to see these Browns. But I don't want to count the Steelers out yet, and I'll tell you why. The Ravens and Lamar Jackson, I, it, he still needs time to develop. He still can't throw deep. He is so fast and electric. I like the Ravens with him, but he still needs time to develop. Bengals, I don't, I don't who, who even knows? I mean, Andy Dalton's probably going to get shipped out. Uh, it, it's ridiculous since he's a, a, a giant mess, and I'm not too concerned about them. It's really Cleveland and, and OBJ, Jarvis Landry, I mean, Nick Chubb, the names and the electric uh, uh, potential with this team is, is there. But, I mean, hey, a wise man once said, with great power, 
comes great responsibility. And I'm concerned to see how OBJ and Jarvis, I know they were teammates, but they're both going to want targets. They're both going to want the yards. And, and then you got Nick Chubb in the backfield who's going to want to run and catch as well. There's a lot, a lot of power on this team, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how they dish it out evenly around the offense. So I don't want to count Pittsburgh out yet. It's still their division to lose, uh, and, and I just, I'm excited for these Browns. But, you know, Pittsburgh's still there. Yes, they are. Alex, thanks for all the time. I appreciate it. Before I let you go, I want everybody to know how to follow you on social media. Yeah, you can find me on at Alex Fazano, F-A-Z-A-N-O. Uh, I'm producing for the Fantasy Sports Network. Check out our content at Fantasy Sports Network. Uh, and check out my content on Fansided. I write for the Steel Curtain, the uh, Steelers fan page for Fansided. Uh, Mike, I really appreciate you having me on today. No problem, my friend. Thanks for coming on. Of course. Thank you, buddy. All right, last but not least in the fan forum, we have to talk about the New York Jets. So I decided to bring in the guy who is the unofficial co-host of this podcast and the guy who we talked about the Jet offseason with a couple weeks ago, Will Schneider. And Will, how are you? Good. Right, Good. So the Jets, we talked about it on, the, on that podcast. The time we were not big fans of Quinn and Williams. They have taken him at three. They pass on the edge rusher. How do you feel about that choice of Quinn and Williams? So I'm going to completely, like, I, I honestly I love I love it. I'll be like you know like con- contradictory whatever you want to call it, but um, like okay, so like I say I love it, right? But I loved when we drafted Leonard Williams because it was best player available. Loving it and the Jets needing it, I feel like are two different things. Um, so I'm I'm happy we have him on the team for sure because he's just super versatile. I mean, arguably the best overall prospect on the board. Um, but yeah, I would have liked to see Josh Allen. I'd like to see as a you know a wicked edge rusher, someone who's going to put up gaudy stack numbers. Um, but I'm not going to be nitpicky. I'm not going to be one of those guys that calls it a complete failure because at the end of the day, we still got one hell of a player. Yeah, yeah, he could be a big force in that defense. They did get an edge rusher later in the draft when they drafted Jakai Polite out of Florida. So which I do like. I'm yeah. sure we'll talk. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit. But uh, I like that pick. Yeah, Polite. I like the talent. And as Matt Verran pointed out earlier on the podcast, in the third round, who really cares it's if, a he, risk. If, he, yeah. if he flames out? Exactly. It's not like he was your first-round pick. You, you know, and, and McCagnon's in a position where he has to make those types of risks. And, uh, you know, last year we did it with Herndon. Or sorry, I shouldn't say we. The Jets did it with Herndon. Where Work, he, right, he that was, worked out. He was an injury guy. Yeah, yeah. And it did. It worked out well. And um, I was reading an article before where basically – McCagnin probably feels better making this selection now, throwing him in a room with Jamal Adams, um, you know, um, CJ Mosley, Mosley. I mean, uh, Williamson, rather than throwing him in the room like he did, you know, throw him in the room and there's Sheldon Richardson or, or um, Mo Wilkerson. Mo Wilkerson, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I like that pick as well too. But yeah, Quentin Williams, I'm honestly stoked about because I think he's just so versatile and he has so much potential. Yeah, he's got a lot of potential. They are a team on the rise. But they walk out of the draft. They still have a lot of yes, holes. Yes. Which hole concerns you the most? Pretty obvious, right? I'm sure you'd agree too. Offensive line. Um, I'm not that concerned about corner. I mean, not compare. Comparably, I'm not as concerned about cornerback. Um, even though I, the kid from Rutgers that we drafted, I think he's been like really injured. But there's another kid you can probably, if he's play, if he plays, you know, if he's healthy, he can probably play, play well enough. Um, but yeah, offensive line is just. Why did we take? The tight end in the fourth round, I, I was a little concerned. I mean, I guess 
in lieu of getting a offensive lineman, they figured they would just get a blocking tight end. <laughs> well, really, in, in lieu of a center, because because right. they took a tackle. But I mean, they think the kid from USC, right? Yeah, yeah, they're starting Jonathan Harrison at center right now. That's very discouraging. Yeah, you know, that's what happens when you take too long focusing on the wrong guys in free agency. Uh, Paradise would have been great, or Paradise. Um, but center, yeah, it, it really is what it is, right? It kind of seems like McCagnan basically said, you know what? We're just gonna go with it, and um, yeah, I, I, I honestly, I'd probably say offensive line and wide receiver. I just still don't like what we have at wide receiver. I, I, I heard that they were they were trying to jump up to get um, they're trying to get corners, corners, and then the one receiver from uh, George was it Georgia, the, the guy the Chiefs ended up with. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, you know, it's bad. I can't Hard, remember his Hardman. name. Hardman, Hardman, exactly. Um, but yeah, you know, and that was what I was more perturbed about. I didn't like the lack of aggressiveness in, on in day two. Where you gotta get you gotta get up into that second round. You gotta you gotta do what you gotta do. Um, and that kind of perturb that kind of ticked me off. That that's probably what I'm more angry about. Yeah, we'll deal with the diving the Jets more the other day. Will, thanks for the time. I yep. really appreciate it. Before I let you go, you want to everybody know how to find on social media? Oh yeah, so uh, at will w- oh sorry at will s c h n e i d e r h one. Yep. And this is not the last time we're gonna hear from you the podcast this week. No, no, got. Good, uh, good Avengers. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks for all the time. I'll yeah, be teaching that in me. just a moment. Thanks for having me. All right. That's going to do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Rocky DePaula, for coming by to talk NBA playoffs. Matt Verderam from Fanside, host of the Stacking the Box podcast, for giving us a full breakdown of the NFL draft. And all our guests from the Fan Forum. All those guys were great. They had a lot of interesting stuff to say about their teams. If you want more stuff like this podcast, including my instant reaction to the Daniel Jones pick on Thursday and why the Giants are still going the wrong direction, be sure to check out my blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You'll subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn, all those awesome platforms. Just go on there, search for Just and the Suffering. You will find the podcast there. Feel free to your feedback and star ratings or help make this podcast even better going forward. You also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me with the hashtag of the team that you think had the best draft. So if you think that the, if you think like Matt Verderam did, that the Bills or the Jaguars had the best draft, tweet me with hashtag Bills, hashtag Jaguars. Think somebody else? Tweet me that. I'm, I'm curious. I want to find out who you guys think had the best NFL draft. Next up, I actually have a very short wait for you for our next episode. We have a very special Avengers Endgame edition of the podcast coming later this week. It is a special full episode of the Just Enjoy the Show format. I will be talking to our pop culture correspondent, Sam DeRosa. We're going to reset you for Infinity War. Then I have Will Schneiderhands coming on, a new guest, John Stanko, is coming on. We're going to break down the movie and where the MCU goes from here. So be sure to check that out. Until then, hope you have a better week than Giants fans. <laughs> <laughs>